0: Good morning. Good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to the Book of Matthew, chapter thirteen, verse thirty-three. Once again, we're taking a break from our character studies through the Bible, in order to take a look at the teachings of the Lord Jesus. Okay, Matthew thirteen thirty-three. This is an an extremely short passage, It's, it's a very short parable, it's just one verse. Another parable, he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. It's only one verse, so we don't have many persons or objects to look at, we have a woman, we have leaven, and we have three measures of meal. just want to give you a little background on how leaven works for those of you who don't know, just in case. I'm sure a lot of you do. Leaven is what you put into bread to make it rise. All those little nooks and crannies you see in your bread when you cut it open, that's from leaven. A lot of times people used yeast for their leaven, and yeast are actually a little fungus. When you add some yeast to your dough, it causes the dough to expand. So I might have a little ball of dough that fits my hand, but if I add leaven to it, over the course of the hour, it might double in size. Now, no new dough is actually being created. What's actually going on is that the yeast are producing little gas bubbles. These gas bubbles make little pockets in the dough, and your dough expands. Now, taken by itself, the one sentence making up this parable sounds pretty harmless and innocent. We all eat bread with leaven all the time. And as is described in the parable, you actually want all the meal leavened. You want all your dough leavened so that all the bread rises in a uniform way. So the Lord appears to be describing a perfectly normal process in making bread. Just out of curiosity, I decided to look in several commentaries out there to see what was said about this parable. And out of five I looked at, four of them gave a positive spin on this parable. And they all went something like, well, the leaven represents the gospel spreading out into all the world, starting out small and humble, then spreading out into every nook and cranny of the world until everyone's been saved. That sounds kind of, That sounds kind of nice, right? Now, I don't mean to be all pessimistic and doom and gloom, but um, that interpretation really doesn't make sense. There's a lot of problems with putting a positive spin on this parable. We're going to go over each problem one by one. The real meaning of this parable its a lot darker. It's really very sad. First problem. In the context, the Lord Jesus is giving several parables about the kingdom of heaven. Now, you look through your pages here. This parable, it's sandwiched right in between a couple parables describing the unnatural growth of the church and the explanation regarding those parables, one of the parables. You have the parable of the wheat and the tares. Then you have the parable of the mustard seed. Then you have this parable. Then you have the explanation of the parable of the wheat and the tares, all describing an unhealthy and unnatural growth of the church. So it would be kind of strange... The Lord Jesus put a parable about the positive spread of the gospel right here. This parable is actually very similar to the parable of the mustard seed that Don preached on a couple of months ago. That parable is not explained. The kingdom of heaven is actually composed of a very mixed multitude. You have true believers. Then you also have everyone else who professes to believe in Christ you have Jehovah's Witnesses, you have Mormons, you have Catholics, all part of the kingdom of heaven. And looking at the parable, too, there's a hint of something sinister going on. When I mean, you Look at what the woman's doing. Now, it doesn't say that she simply added or put the leaven in the meal. It says she hid the, she hid the leaven in the meal. It's like she's concealing it and does not want it to be discovered. The leaven does not belong here. Another problem, too. Consistently through the Old and New Testament, leaven is not mentioned in a positive way. Now, it's not as if literal leaven itself is actually a bad thing. I'm sure plenty of you here eat leavened bread on a regular basis. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Lord uses leaven as an illustration Leaven in the Old Testament is a picture of evil and corruption. I'm just going to read to you a couple of verses from Exodus. In Exodus 12.15, this is the institution of the Passover. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And again, later in the same book, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 25, it says, You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. Now, by asking the Jews to remove leaven from their homes, the Lord was commanding of the Jews that they live a pure lifestyle, a pure life before him, free from any, free from any contaminating sin. 1 in this parable, 11 in this parable is false doctrine entering the church. Let's turn to Galatians, the New Testament. In Galatians, we see false teachers introducing a teaching of salvation through a combination of faith in Christ and keeping the law. Now, in Galatia, the church has started off well. But a group called the Judaizers had come into the church and were teaching the Galatians that it was essential that to keep the Old Testament law in order to be saved. And this is what the main false doctrine out there is, a false gospel. Paul makes mention of this in verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. That's chapter 1, verses verse 6 through 7. Now, real doctrine and the true gospel say this. You know, I'm a sinner through and through. I deserve eternal death. I deserve hell because of my sin. And there's nothing I can do of myself to save myself. I'm saved because I believe that Jesus Christ, God the Son, died in my place on the cross taking the punishment I should have suffered and that he was buried and rose again the third day. That's what the true gospel, real doctrine says. False doctrine will say something like this. It will say... You must do this to be saved. You must do that to be saved. Or, Jesus Christ isn't really God. Or, you can have that sin of yours in your life still and be saved. Now I'm paraphrasing here, but that's what a lot of the false gospels out there say. They introduce a works-based salvation. They try to undermine who the Lord Jesus is. They attack his deity. They try to make sin less serious than it really is. Now, let's start reading in chapter 5, just a few turns to the right. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. And here we get to the leaven. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And we see as a result of this false doctrine that the churches of Galatia were being destroyed from the inside out. Reading on in the chapter, Paul warns in verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Because of the false doctrine that was entering the church, there were a lot of divisions going on. There were people attacking each other. Getting back to the parable, so who is a woman in this parable? Well, I we know if Levin's false doctrine, this, this person can't be anyone good. Sometimes we hear of some really weird teaching out there from the cults. And I still remember um, I'm learning that in the Mormon church that's taught that Jesus Christ and Satan are brothers. I was thinking, How did they, what made them think of that? Or how did they make, how did they cook up such a bizarre idea? The thing is, you know, false doctrine is not the result of someone making an honest mistake or someone teaching part of the Bible in the wrong way because they just weren't quite sure what a certain word meant. False doctrine has a definite purpose, there's a definite intelligence behind it. False doctrines, they direct people. Away from the Lord. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. You don't have to turn them. In Acts, in Acts chapter 20, verse 30, Paul makes a warning to the, the Ephesians. There, he says, "Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the, the disciples after themselves." And First Timothy 4:1, there's a reference to doctrines of demons. The woman in this case represents anyone introducing false doctrine into the church, which initially wasn't in a pure state. The three measures of meal represent the pure doctrine that initially was in the church. Because in the beginning, you know, the church was made up only of true believers who all held true doctrine. But as time has gone on, false doctrines just continued to spread throughout more and more churches There are now plenty of churches that will say they have faith in Christ, but by their doctrine they show they don't. All leavened. We're getting pretty close to that nowadays. I would say probably the the majority of churches out there, they all hold some kind of false doctrine. So the kingdom of heaven is really composed of really a, a mixture of all kinds of people with mixtures of different doctrines, some true and some false. The kingdom of heaven is overinflated. You end up having a false growth. The kingdom of heaven appears a lot bigger than it really is. There's a number of scary things, too, about false doctrine. It's often hidden in appearance. It's like leaven in that way. Because when you mix leaven into your dough, it's pretty much invisible. You can't tell it's there until you see something happening. And often false doctrine is given some something to hide it. Sometimes it's given scripture to back it up, scripture that's taken out of context. There's a lot of Catholic doctrines that use the Bible in some way to justify their doctrines, which are really not true, but they use scripture just taken out of context. And there's often something appealing too about false doctrines. There's something about them that often appeals to the flesh, that cater to the self in a certain way. Like you think of a doctrine like limited atonement, where Christ died only for the elect and no one else. Well, if you're one of the elect, that might make you feel a little more special. Or if you think there's actually some work you can do to save yourself, if you think you can be saved through your works, well, that might make you kind of proud of your good works. The Lord Lord Jesus warned his disciples about false doctrine because they're in danger of falling into it. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16. Starting from verse 5. And when his disciples had come to the other side, They had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed, and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, This because we have taken no bread. But when Jesus Jesus perceived it, he said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves, because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand Or remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many large baskets you took up. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, of the the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, what was the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees? We know that there were a lot of things wrong with the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. We know that the Pharisees had a lot of externalism in their practices. They relied a lot on their good works and good appearances, and their keeping the law. And we know that of the Sadducees, they believed that there was no resurrection. But more than that, there was a spirit of unbelief in them. There was a spiritual dulling of the senses. You know, The Pharisees and Sadducees, like the disciples, they witnessed a lot of the miracles of the Lord Jesus, but they just, despite all they saw, they didn't believe. The Lord makes this warning to this. He's making this warning, though, to the disciples. The disciples in this passage, they had just witnessed the Lord providing for the feeding of thousands of people. And over the past few months, they've probably seen the Lord miraculously healing people, raising people from the dead, exercising demon-possessed people. But the Lord was warning them about this because the Lord's miracles were threatening to become commonplace to the disciples. It was like... um, There's a danger of them having a spirit of unbelief like the Pharisees and Sadducees. And we have to, you know, for ourselves too, we have to be careful in this way. We can also get kind of spiritually dulled to what we see. Because, you know, in this book there's some amazing truths. This book says that, as a believer, that I've been forgiven of my sins, that I have eternal life. The Holy Spirit dwells in me if I'm, if I'm a believer. But, you know, we, can't, we can get dull to these things. We can just be kind of ho hum about reading the Bible, be kind of complacent. It's something good to praise that the Lord Himself and the Word of God would always be fresh to us, that we would always have a sense of wonder when reading the Word. Another thing about false doctrine, like leaven, it spreads and expands. And I mean this in a couple ways. One obvious way is that false teachers will teach um, their doctrines to a lot of people, and these people will in turn spread this to other people. It doesn't just spread in that way, though. False doctrine has a way of leading to more false doctrine. Because if you hold a false doctrine, you end up denying some part of the scripture. If you hold one false belief, well, let's just say that another piece of the scripture doesn't mean what it says. Now, Calvary Bible Chapel, I would say, we're pretty well protected from false doctrine. We have a lot many, we have some very vigilant elders, and in the Bay Area, we have a number of assemblies that have elders who care for the assemblies and watch out for any twisted teaching that might be threatened to enter the church. So, that means we have nothing to worry about from this parable, right? No. thing is, there's more than one type of leaven. In the parable we read, the leaven represents false doctrine entering the church and ultimately spreading throughout the whole entire church. But there's other types of leaven mentioned in the Bible, and they're all capable of destroying churches. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting from verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread sincerity and truth. Now, Paul in this passage is rebuking the Corinthians for sexual immorality within their assembly. In this case, Old Leaven refers to the sins that the Corinthians practiced in their unsaved lives, such as sexual immorality. And of course, these kind of sins, if left, um, left undealt with, they can easily spread in the church. That's why people are put off fellowship. But what is... The leaven leaven of malice and wickedness. It's something different. Malice and wickedness, malice really speaks of a viciousness of character. Doing harm to another person. Now, I don't mean doing physical harm, but slandering, backbiting, spitefully treating someone, criticizing And you might think, well, that could never happen here. There's about 100 people in this room, but or maybe less maybe 80 or so today, but even if everyone in this room is a believer, that means you've still got 80 to 100 sinners in one room. People can rub shoulders. You know, I'm sure that I've probably offended or heard a number of you here at some point, maybe without realizing it, And people can rub shoulders a lot more during hard times. Right now, these are hard times. With the economy as bad as it is, I'm sure a lot of you may be struggling to make ends meet. You may be working pretty hard. You might be overworked. Maybe you're just barely making ends meet. And then you come here on Sunday morning, you come to the Wednesday prayer meeting, and you're Tired from a full work week, from a full day at work, you come here a little irritated, a little having your nerves a little afraid already. And then the, the, the work week may not be over for you. I know a lot of you here are doing work here at the chapel. And that construction project on the other side of the wall, that's not making things any easier. A lot of things to create stress here. Let's turn to for all the turns, by the way. I'm turning to a lot of verses. Look, Book of Hebrews, let's turn to Hebrews chapter twelve, verse fifteen. It's one verse. Sorry, two verses. Starting from verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, let me ask you, have you ever gotten a little annoyed or irritated with another brother or sister in the assembly? Or maybe not just a little irritated or annoyed, but maybe a little offended. And The thing is, when we get offended, sometimes we let the offense stew a bit. We replay the offense over and over in our heads. And you know what? It gets very tempting to mention that offense to another person. And then maybe you might mention it to more than one brother or sister. And before you know it, maybe half the chapel knows about this. There's some ill will between you and another brother. People might even start taking sides. It all started with a little root of bitterness. And now many have become defiled. Just like the leaven of false doctrine, the leaven of malice and wickedness spreads really easily. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I got a lesson early on when I when I was a believer about the importance of not letting a root of bitterness spring up. It was actually the first year as a believer. Now just to give you a little background. When I was first saved, I lived in a student fraternity house in Berkeley. And there were actually a number of other brothers who were saved at the same time in that same house. Now it happened that one evening. Uh, this is a brother I still keep in touch with. He's still a friend of mine. But one evening, me and this other brother, we got into a little debate about evolution. And the debate kind of degenerated in, into an argument. And then all of a sudden, um, things were not so warm between me and this other brother. Now, um, I was thinking to myself, no, this brother, he does not believe in evolution anymore, but at this time, it was a very sticky issue for me, He's still coming to grips with it. And uh, well, I was thinking to myself, well... I was right, and of course he had to be wrong. Then, like I said, things were not so warm between us all of a sudden. next day, things were kind of chilly still. Now, at the time, um, Noah was discipling me, and uh, I happened to mention to him after the Tuesday night prayer meeting that me and this other brother had gotten into an argument about evolution. And Noah got upset. And I don't mean bad upset. This is righteous anger. He was upset for a good reason. He said to me in a very sharp tone, Michael, I want you to apologize to him. I don't care who started it. You know that this is something that Satan tries to use to divide the brethren. You know, this is, yeah, this this is something that stumbles him. And of course I did apologize. And things were quite better after that. And as the years went by, you know, the Lord would use this brother and me and a number of other brothers in the house to witness to the people passing through that fraternity house in a number of ways. But, you know, if we had been less united, we would have been so much less effective. It's so important that that of bitterness be nipped in the bud that early. And there's a scriptural solution to dealing with Fences between brothers and sisters. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 18. Starting from verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, this is already a very serious situation, if you've gotten to this point, where you're confronting another brother or sister who's offended you like this. It really doesn't have to come to this, though. It doesn't. There's actually something, now without adding to the scripture, there's something like a verse 14.5. Something that comes before verse 15 that can uh, deal with the situation before you have to get to verse 15. Let's turn briefly to Proverbs 19.11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook a transgression. Now, first, this one verse might look a little strange. I mean, how can you just overlook a transgression? Does that mean you see someone sitting and you just totally ignore it? I mean, after all, aren't the elders of the church responsible for dealing with sin in the assembly? Well, this proverb is really this proverb is really referring to an offense done to you personally, and maybe you have received a hurtful comment, or a brother has offended you, or you, someone's been treating you insensitively. But just let it go. You know, our flesh cries out, says, "But but he did that, or she she said that to me." Just let it go. Don't dwell on it. I'm not saying that's easy. It can be difficult. That's why uh, Paul states in Ephesians, you know, bearing with one another in love. It's not always easy to get along here. It can be easy to. It can be. It may not be an easy thing to do. But the unity of believers, it's something very precious to the Lord. And there's there's a Psalm just about it. I'm just going to read you Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the Mount of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. We're going to turn to one last passage. This is in Philippians, Chapter Two. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, There's an appeal for unity here. And what really helps is how I view my brother or sister in the Lord. If I esteem my brother or sister better than than myself, if I take the lower place in my heart, if I really have a humble attitude, if instead of looking down at my brother or sister, I take the lower place and look up at them. Let me look at my brother or sister through... Christ's eyes. Let this mind be in me, which is also in Christ Jesus. I me look at my brother or sister as a person that the Lord Jesus came down to earth to die for. If I really look at my brother or sister in that way, you know, all those annoying little things about them that I thought were annoying, all those personality quirks, all those disagreements that I may have had with them, all that's going to fade away Insignificance. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great salvation and thank you for the bond you've given us as brethren, that we are one in you, the family you've given us here. We pray that you would keep us together. Pray that you continue to protect this church, your church. Do pray this in your name.